0: Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week before we get to this week's guest, retired Green Beret, who now works with an incredible foundation getting dogs into becoming service dogs. We'll hear about his story and how his career ended coming up in just a few moments. But first, as always, our normal announcements, and I want to start out with our Amazon promotion on our website, HazardGround.com. You go to our website, HazardGround.com. You hit the Amazon button up at at the bottom of the homepage, and it'll redirect you to Amazon. You can do all of your normal Amazon shopping. We get a percentage of what you guys spend. I'll donate a percentage of that back to some of the charities and organizations you've heard featured here on the show. And with the holidays starting to creep up on us very, very quickly, if you're going to do shopping on Amazon, please go to hazardground.com first. It's an easy way for you guys to help out veterans charities just by doing some normal Amazon shopping. And we appreciate the love and the support as always. Speaking of love and support, continue to leave us uh, Apple reviews, wherever you go or wherever you guys get this podcast, however you're listening to it, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, Make sure you guys leave us reviews. Tell us why you love this show. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, You guys giving us a a like and a thumbs up, five stars, whatever it may be. Speaking of thumbs up, subscribe to that YouTube channel. Hit the thumbs up to like the content there. Follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hazard Ground, at Hazard Ground Podcast. I continue to help grow this Hazard Ground community. We appreciate you guys uh, being a big part of it. I can't tell you how much I, I, you know, it's funny. It's like every time I get a note from somebody saying, hey, I listened to this episode. I heard this show. I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, uh, it kind of motivates me to keep this thing going as long as we can, because you guys really are well, the reason why we do this. So uh that and hearing all these great stories from all these amazing people who have uh dedicated their life to service. So again, uh keep the reviews coming, keep the comments coming. Certainly appreciate it. If you guys ever want to get in touch with the show, you can go to the hazardground.com website uh, and just click the contact us button and the emails will come right to my inbox. I, I'll get to all of them eventually, I promise. So uh just be patient with me. But if you guys write us, we'll certainly get back to you as soon as we can. And joining us this week on the Hazard Ground is a retired Army Master Sergeant who spent 18 years, seven months, and one day. He knows the exact amount because it's on his DD-214. 18 years in service in the United States Army, 10 of that as a Green Beret uh, in 7th Special Forces Group. He had three trips to Afghanistan, including on the last one, where he stepped on an IED and lost both of his legs as a double amputee below the knee on the very last mission he did on his very last deployment. Uh, he is also currently working with several organizations, one of them being Faraday's Troops First Foundation that gets dogs into becoming service dogs after uh, their time in service for veterans. And he is Chris Corbin joining us here on the Hazard Ground. Chris, welcome, man. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, man. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Uh,
0: a little backdrop here. Uh previous guest of ours, Ryan Neal, who you know, uh, uh, gave me your name, your suggestion, told me about your story. So we wanted to get it heard here on the show and i know that you've been uh you've been doing a lot of traveling as of late and, and rubbing elbows with some some big dudes right you've been, <laughs> you've been touching t- pressing the flesh with some high level people
1: it was a good trip it was a good trip long trip uh we covered uh about eight thousand miles in about nine and a half ten days uh so i'm still recovering if you will <laughs> still jet lagging uh, it but uh no it was uh it was all in my truck uh i have a an 2021 F450. And it's lifted on 38s, <laughs> and we drove that uh, the entire trip. It was it was a good time. <laughs> awesome. good. Glad to have you back safe and sound, and
0: uh, certainly glad that you guys you're going to join us here and share your story. Which uh, which begins where and when? How did you want to
1: get in the army? Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated high school. Um, uh, my father was military as a Seventh Group guy. You know, I was a Panama vet with Seventh Group. Um, you know, he joined, uh, went SF and uh, was stationed in Panama and then all of a sudden just caused busted loose uh, while he lived there. Um, so I grew up uh, mostly, you know, younger years in Louisiana, ended up in North Carolina because he was stationed here. And, uh, you know, in 1995, about to graduate high school, I have no idea what I want to do. I say, you know, let me let me do something, to, something that can help pay for college, you know, some give me some uh, real world life experiences or whatever. So I say, yeah, you know, I think I'll join the army. I think I'm gonna go be an airborne ranger. We'll do four years and get out and go to college or or, or something. Yeah, you know, I had no idea. So uh joined military in summer of ninety five. Uh, I actually failed RIP <laughs> when I went through in the uh, winter of ninety five. Ended up going eighty second for a few years. I uh, was just super motivated by a lot of my leadership that I had uh during that those three years. And it's like, man, you should really we should really uh, think about going and trying to go back to regiment. So uh, I did. Uh, 99, I ended up going back through RIP um, and then ended up in 1st Ranger Battalion, went to Ranger School, uh, loved life there. I was a gun team leader, a rifle team leader, ended up being a sniper team leader. Uh, left there for the Q course uh, in 2002 and then ended up in 7th Group uh, as an 18 Bravo, which was best job in the Army. It was amazing. I loved that whole gig. I will right, well back up a second, because you
0: and I are roughly the same age. So you were in the eighty second when nine eleven happened.
1: No, I was in First Ranger Battalion. Oh you're so okay,
0: you're first Ranger Battalion then. Okay. Yep. Sorry. So what like where were you and of what was the background and did what were you what were you told?
1: <laughs> so I was actually on a TDY gig. Um and we send each battalion will send uh they call used to call them, they have a different terms now, I'm sure, uh, as tax, temporary assistant cadre. Uh, to the RIP program that you would have to go to and attend and, and not quit and pass <laughs> to uh, gain entry into one of the Ranger Battalions. Um, so I was at RIPTAC. Uh, it was weird. I was supposed to be there Monday, but I didn't know it. Uh, so Monday, uh, my platoon sergeant said, hey, Corb, you want to go be at TAC?" I was like, yeah, that sounds like a hoot. They said, one of my, you know, figured he's going to give me a couple weeks notice. Uh, and he said, uh, actually, you're supposed to be there today. Uh, the guy we were supposed to send went an emergency leave, nobody backfilled the slot. So uh, go home and pack, uh, come pick up your orders uh, this afternoon and drive to Fort Benning. <laughs> okay, so I did. <laughs> so I get there Tuesday morning. I get there late Tuesday or uh, Monday night, uh, Tuesday morning, went and introduce myself. Hey, it's Sergeant Corbin, tack first bat. Okay, yeah, go over here, you know, you know, hang up with these guys and uh, you'll start classes and whatnot. So I did PT and uh, kind of getting to know each other a little bit, me and some of the cadre, And we have the young RIP students um, or candidates, if you will. Uh, We're teaching them how to tie knots and how to tie their equipment down. So we just just did equipment issue. And we're on the back porch of the old buildings. And uh, some guy comes out and says, hey, man, a freaking airplane just hit the World Trade Center. So we're all, like, laughing at first, uh, thinking some drunk idiot with a hang glider or something. We didn't know. Um, And then we all go into Not too many people had cell phones back then. (laughs) We're still on pagers. (laughs) So we all go into the little CQ desk area, uh, and they had a a TV set up there. And we got to see, like, on the TV live action as the second plane hit. And it was like, "Mm, this might be something. So we're all elbowing each other, fighting to grab hold of the phone, the only phone there. uh, So we can call back to you and, hey, uh, I'm right here if you need me. (laughs) It's four hours of driving, so let me know if I need to start driving now. And it's, ah, we don't know anything yet, so just uh, hang tight. Um, Another battalion, other of mine, uh, was on, you know, like the first recall, if you will. So the third bat was going in first, and we all knew that. So we're all trying to beg, borrow, and steal for a job. (laughs) It's like, hey, you need a really experienced uh, ammo bearer or rifleman or anything. So literally we were teaching, uh, young kids right at a high school, basic airborne, uh, had to tie knots, uh, when, t- Tuesday morning when the, uh, world trade centers fell. Uh, so, I mean,
0: you know, obviously being the elite unit, you guys were, there was probably a presumption that you guys were going
1: to be moving pretty fast. No. Uh, we all hoped, uh, and we all kind of in the back of our minds knew, uh, we all hoped that we were going over there tomorrow. Uh, cause, uh. Just exactly like you said, you know, we were supposed to be the, the first guys, you know, sent in and forced, uh to do, you know, good guy stuff to bad guys.
0: And then you end up getting to the Q course. So clearly, you know that you're not going anywhere anytime soon.
1: Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to uh, go to assessment selection, obviously, first. So what what was the timeline from nine eleven when all that happened?
1: Um, we... Nobody knew or even thought to anticipate that this would be a twenty year, you yeah, know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um so, be so over that,
0: before it starts. We're never gonna get there. Can't believe we didn't get a chance to go. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, Panama lasted seventy two hours. You know, yeah. the last one that I was a, still a child for uh was uh you know, Desert Storm and that was over, you know the fighting part was in weeks and then the rebuild part was months and that was it. So I think most of us, my generation was kind of thinking along those lines uh and I already went to selection and I already had you know class dates and uh p c s and uh and we started a Q course and uh you know then I'm looking at it like, man that's still going. And I graduated the Q course and it was still going. <laughs> so We started a
0: second one, by the way. Yeah, we, we started a second one. Yeah. During that
1: time, we had uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom going at the same time. It's like, man, I'm stuck in school. This really sucks. <laughs> so, uh, no, no, I don't think anybody anticipated it going on for that long uh, and changing course as many times as they did. But that was echelons above us. So right. it, it, go over here, do this. Hmm, Roger that. So I'll be over there doing that. Um, so you, but, you you mentioned that you became an 18 Bravo.
0: Does that, you know, you, what you wanted to do when you went through?
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, actually, how I met Ryan, you'd mentioned the last guest, uh, Ryan Neal. Uh, I had really high test scores. Uh, and they decided that you need to be an 18 Delta. So they sent me to the 18 Delta course along with Ryan Neal and a couple other guys. Uh, got to know good friends. Uh, towards the end of it, <laughs> uh, I got into a uh, little fisticuff uh, and got held up for uh, some some court battles, if you will. And uh, by the time that was done, they were like, "Hey, uh, you want to go back to 18 note course?" And I was like, mm, "I was a couple weeks from finishing, so where would I where would I get back into it?" i said, "Well, let me call you back." Uh, that said, "You had the whole the whole six month uh, medical sonic course, the, the last the second half of the entire medic course." I was like. Bro, I've been here for a long time. Uh, what about 18 Charlie? I want to be 18 Charlie too. Uh, so they said, hey, let me call you back. You know, class dates backed up for two classes. You're going to sit here for six months. I was like, well, what's the fastest thing smoking out of this schoolhouse so I can actually go do a, a job? I said, 18 Bravo course starts Monday. I was like, it's Wednesday. You mean like Monday? I said, yeah. I said, done. Sign me up. And uh, that's what I wanted to do in the first place. Uh, like I said, I had uh, high GT scores and high language test scores and other things. They're so like, oh, i got a smart guy. Yes and no. <laughs> uh, I, I really didn't want to be an 18 Delta. I was passing the course. So, I mean, I, if it would have went that way, I would have been one. Um, I Everybody has what they feel their calling is. I didn't feel that being my calling. Uh, Ryan, wow. uh, Ryan was a great 18 Delta, uh, and later, you know, Warren officer, you know, how he finished his career up. Uh, I didn't think that I was that guy, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. But being a weapons sergeant on a team, that was the best feeling in the world. Uh, I got to play with guns. I did all the tactical stuff. Uh, it was, you know, mortars. If it's big and goes boom, I loved it um it, it, that's that's what i felt my calling was and, and that fit me you know and everybody sees me it's like oh hey that's doc nah just didn't just didn't drive, <laughs> you know um but it, it, that's corb he's our gun guy uh just just go, felt go a lot better <laughs> it, it, rolls it, off the tongue corb's the gun fit. guy yeah nah, totally, totally fit <laughs> uh um,
0: that is I, I tell you i mean uh and you don't know this about me but i i was attached to 5th and 10th group for my first deployment. And the weapons sergeant, it, it, I mean, it's unreal how you could just show them a picture of a weapon and from any country in the world, and they kind of know what it is and exactly what it does. And I'm just like, wow, I, that, that always impressed me. You know, it's like it's like those like bug people, like here's a picture of a bug. What is that? I, I have no freaking clue. You, I, I know It's <laughs> like a weird memory that you see it and know exactly what it is and what it does.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, they beat that stuff in their heads. Uh, And then they have so many of them for training. You know, we have Galils. We have AKs. We have AK-74s. We have all these just crazy guns that people have kind of seen in the movie. like, that looks like a – but it's a little different. It's like, my girlfriend hates watching movies with me. It's like, Man, actually, that's not that. That's, you know, that's a blah, 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 because, you yeah. know, you can tell the difference because of the feed tray or it, this. Yeah, they, they beat that in their heads pretty good. so Still- then- working when, on them, fixing them, disassemblies, cleaning them, maintaining yep. them, stuff like that. It's, it's beating your head's pretty good.
0: So when do you finish uh, the 18 Bravo course and when do you finally get to a team?
1: Um, well, it's morphed. Actually it morphed while I was in the course cause I was in the course for so darn long. Uh, we call that the long way to Bravo. <laughs> you, you did the the whole long piece of the medic course and then you go be the shortest course, which is the 18 Bravo course. So I, uh, we call that the long way to Bravo um, so you finish the course and there's still other phases to attend uh, I still hadn't done SEER school so I, had, so I had to do that so I've done the the which used to be the the fourth portion uh, or fourth phase which was Robin Sage mm-hmm. which is the culmination exercise they take all the Bravos the Charlies the deltas the echoes uh, and the alphas the officers and put them together to make a team and you go do a you know month long or whatever mission you know here in and around Fort Bragg. Um, so I still had several pieces to do and language school used to be at the tail end. So as soon as you don't, of course, like, Hey, I'm a green beret. Yeah, not yet. (laughs) You still got a a four to six month language piece behind that. So I, I had previously, I grew up, uh, my other side of my family is a gagliano. So I grew up understanding and speaking a little bit of Italian. Um, so I had an old rating in Spanish, which is very low. But I also grew up in southern Louisiana, so I grew up speaking broken French, you know, Creole. Um, and I was in course for Arabic. So uh, I tested Arabic, you know, it was in school for Arabic, tested out. Um, I tested out for French, uh, and I had previously tested out on Spanish. So they were kind of trying to decide where to go or where I would go. My dad was in seventh group. I didn't want to go to seventh group. <laughs> I didn't uh, love being a seventh group. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't want to go there. It's like, Oh, Hey, that's fucking, that, that that's Nelson's kid. You know? Well, I'm, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. You know, And had to start over like that. I wanted to go to another group and, and do other stuff Do my, you know, make my own bones, if you will. Um, as it were, my first company sergeant major uh, the, the infamous Bobby Cinco, um, got promoted to E7 in the same formation as my dad. <laughs> so wow. that's how I grew up in seventh group. <laughs> that is crazy. But, you know, it, Bobby Senko is a legend. He's a legend in group, period. He's absolutely a legend in seventh group. You know, it's one of those, uh, uh, we call them bona fides, you know. So it's like, oh, you're in seventh group, you know, prove it. No, you you know, Bobby Cinco. Mm, No, you're lying. You were never in seventh group. Bobby Cinco was in seventh group from like 88, you know, until like 2011, I think, when he retired. Uh, So if you were in that time and you tell me you never heard of or never met Bobby Cinco, you obviously were not in Seventh special forces group. Uh, Legend, complete legend status. And that was my first company sergeant major was this legend (laughs) it was it was that part was actually really awesome uh great guy to be around motivator you know great non commission officer um just great sf guy is just a a legend is the best word i can come up for him
0: pretty awesome um all right so what year and month do you finally get to team and and, uh, get Uh,
1: uh october of 2005 okay yeah that's when yeah. I finally showed up and uh, typically new guys would go straight to a team mm-hmm. Well, we're also ramping up to leave for Afghanistan we had pre-mission training we had a deployment for training we had some other stuff going on um, I was the brand new 18 uh, Bravo and we tried something different I say we they <laughs> tried something different uh, little staff Sean Corbin ended up being the 18 Bravo on the B team uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot real fast. Because um, as the B team Bravo, typically in recent, you know, in, in years past was you were the senior 18 Bravo in the company. You know, you're not doing team stuff. You're supporting all the team stuff from the, the headquarters team, the B team. And, uh, you know, I was in sniper section at first range battalion. So I've seen a lot of guns, you know, as far as not just a 4 or something like that. So I'll never forget this. Uh, I'm not going to throw his whole name out there. I'll just say his name's Jake. Uh, Jake comes to me and says, hey, are you Corbin? Yeah. "Uh, You're the B Team Bravo. Yeah. And he gave me a list of stuff. Hey, I need UNS. I need this. I need that. And I was like, awesome. Uh, What is all that stuff? And who would I talk to to get it for you? And he just glared at me and turned around and walked away. And I was like, man, I'm pretty much – incompetent right now is, is how I felt. Um, so I, I had to drink off a fire hydrant and figure all that stuff out. And that guy was outstanding, great NCO, great non officer. He didn't understand that I was like brand, brand new, maybe. Uh, he never really spoke to me again. <laughs> and, and being in a reverse situation, I can almost, you know, agree. I can understand it. I don't 100% agree with it. But, yeah, that was exceptionally humbling when a guy who I held in that regard, because he was, you know, he was a stellar performer, and he came to me for stuff that I should have been able to provide a, for him, and I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> so, uh, I learned very quickly. uh, had to, especially after that particular moment in time. Um, and then we made a deployment, uh, midway through that deployment, uh, I ended up going from the B team, going to an ODA. Uh, so I didn't get to an actual ODA until, uh, about a year later. And then how quickly <laughs> do you get your first deployment in Afghanistan? Uh, we actually transitioned me from the B team to an ODA while in Afghanistan. Okay. So you're already, you're already on ground there, right? Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: when you, you when you are, uh, let me back up. Your first deployment to Afghanistan was where?
1: Uh, that was, we were in, the. it's been rearranged a few times. Technically, then we were in the East. Uh, so we were, um, Fob Salerno is where the, the B team was based out of. And when I left there, went to an ODA. It was on what was uh, Firebase Skin, uh, which was at the end of our deployment, renamed Firebase Lily. After our team saw an art Lily, they got killed uh, that deployment on Firebase Skin or just off of Firebase Skin. So, uh,
0: what's that like? I mean, you know, uh, you, you've gone through all this training. You've gone, and you know, you talk about seventh group and the and the lore of of the great people who were there. Um, and your team sergeant gets killed. What what did that do to you mentally?
1: Um, I wasn't. Uh, I was there, but I wasn't technically on that team yet when Art got killed. Right. Um, I knew him. I knew who he was. Uh, and I knew and he knew that I was going to that team um his senior bravo on that team was a good friend of mine uh legend from fifth group uh went to Swick, uh stayed on Fort Bragg and stayed to seventh group and so Bo was going to be my senior on my first ODA and, and that's the way it worked out but I like I said I knew who Art was we weren't exceptionally close because we didn't work together um so the rest of the team got, you know, obviously hit pretty hard with that. Um, but I, I, be honest with you, I, I didn't, I didn't have any feelings on the on the subject, if you will, you know. Well, let me rephrase it: It was American soldier, American Special Forces soldier, that got killed. And yes, that hits us all. But I didn't know anything about Art except for he was going to be my team sergeant. So in that same time period, in June of '07. Is when I transitioned to that team is all this the same time as uh, when Art got killed. Um, So uh, it it was it was a lot, but also I wasn't a private. You know, I'd been in leadership in Ranger Regiment. You know, got a couple of schools, got a couple of Lickies and Chewies and tabs and stuff like that. So I I didn't cry about it, uh, and I don't feel bad for not crying because, just being honest, I I didn't. I, I don't I, did, yeah. Cor, I, I I would say this much.
0: I mean, I, I would ask at least this, was there any sense of like, you know, Hey, if the team sergeant can get taken out, what could happen to me kind of deal?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was, uh, I had seen death before, but I hadn't seen death on the battlefield before. Um, and, and I didn't see that firsthand. I saw that after the medevac and everything else. And, and, it was, you know, it took something to process that. I think, uh, a lot of the much younger guys, uh, that aren't prepared mentally to see that kind of stuff. They, they take that a little different. Um, I'm not trying to say I'm some, you know, hard ass that nothing bothers me. Cause later on when I did know guys, you know, personally and close personal friends of mine that did, did it, it hit me different than it did when art got killed, um, so uh, it, it was, it's a weird feeling. You know, it can happen anytime, you know, walking to breakfast chow, you know, uh, going, you know, fixing, taking the trash out cause everybody has trash. You're taking the trash out to throw in a, the, the bigger cans. Um, you know, it, it can happen anytime, day or night. It, it, it doesn't become real until it does happen though. And when R got shot, um, that was, well, we were going to shoot bad guys. And, well, one got a lucky shot off and it hit him, you know, and there's no other way to say it. It was the situation. I'm not going to get totally into that. The situation, it was a complete lucky shot. Um, The guys were caught and they started running and they literally just threw the guns up and dumped a couple of rounds. And it was that one in a million, you know, it is what it is. It's just bad, you know bad luck i i can't say anything else about it really um you know it, it was just that one in a million shot they got art and you know he didn't deserve that he was a he' was a good n c o uh, he' was a good s f guy if for to understand from the rest of the guys on the team like i said i didn't work for him directly, but he was a good team song and you know that just you know the and the biggest thing and just quick side um, what still bothers bothers me today is not so much that you know, a guy or my friend or, you know, my close friend got killed. It does. Don't get me wrong. But what sits in my head harder than anything else is the picture of the service member. And then a bigger picture of the families of the service member, looking at the picture of the service member. That's what sits on my head the heaviest. So, you know, Art had, Art had a beautiful family, you know, he was into some stuff, you know, outside of work. Uh, he built those crazy big jeeps that climb straight up rocks, uh, and you know they named a trail in Uari, uh National Forest the Jeep Trails, you know, after Art, you know, because he was known out there, you know. You know, his 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 children and his wife, you know, they didn't deserve that phone call, you know, and that was, you know, none of them deserved that phone call, but we were doing what we were supposed to be doing, and he just got that super unlucky one in a million shot that, unfortunately you know stopped his world from turning
0: that tough, tough, stuff <laughs> tough to say the least um that deployment for you is that where you kind of get like your first real taste of combat after that happens or uh
1: yeah uh following around Bo Bo is still I talk to him all the time actually, he actually was just at my house a few weeks ago uh hung out for you know the the evening well, <laughs> and uh Bo is an amazing character. <laughs> so uh, following that guy through doors, you know, through compounds uh, and, and learning from him was, uh, must be experienced you know, <laughs> to actually fully understand. Um, he, he's, you know, been, I think he's uh, four tours. He got shot up on his second, I think. Uh, pretty good. Uh, he's got the super lucky shot uh it hit his shoulder right around a tattoo that he has of a horseshoe. <laughs> That's what one of the oh, bullets. Wow. Um and then uh RPG during that same incursion, you know, he's already shot. Uh he's still up on top of the truck in a gunfight uh and uh uh RPG was fired at him, missed him, went, I don't know, 10, 15 feet above his head. But those things don't just well, the older ones did, but they don't just land if they missed their target they reach what's called max ord, you know, someone at 500, someone at 700, someone at 1,000, you know, whatever. It reached max ord about 15 feet behind him. Uh, so when it blew up, you know, he's on the gun and it blew up with such force, it smashed his face down on the back of this, uh, you know, uh, Martin 19 and busted out his bottom row of teeth. And he's like, God damn it. I've been shot now. I got no teeth. <laughs> And then bullets are still flying. Uh, The truck's on fire. So he jumps out of it because he's on fire. So he's been shot, been blown up from behind. Uh, His teeth are all knocked out. His face is bleeding. And now he's on fire. He's like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) But Bo lived through all of that uh, prior to becoming my first senior on my first team. And so following that guy around was amazing. (laughs) Uh, it's like uh, I don't know what's going to happen to everybody else, but I know I'm sticking with him because uh, shot going up on yeah. fire. He's, <laughs> it, we're we're good. I'm sticking quite with a him. bit on
0: his side here and there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the horseshoe part is uh, is quite ironical to say the least. Oh, one hundred
1: percent. He's still, you know, every now and again, he'll just pull his shirt down. He's got the scar, and you can plainly see the horseshoe, and you can see a little, you know, twisted skin where the stitches weren't done by a plastic surgeon. We'll say, and it's like, no, oh, that's absolutely a bullet hole. It's like. <laughs> you're, you're you you just uh, you just live a different kind of life. He's ah, "I used to," and he's just he's just that guy. When you say stitches
0: weren't done by a plastic surgeon, might I assume they were done by some level of medic?
1: Uh, I don't think uh, 18 Delta medic. I think it was done real quick at a field hospital. Right. Okay, we sorted that out. We sorted this out as best we can. Uh, the shrapnel in his back and his neck and shoulders from the RPG. You know, we'll, we'll deal with that. You know, that was more of a priority, uh, and then him being on fire a little bit was more of a priority than, than making this hole pretty. You know, I I'd say that was probably done by, well done by
0: uh, them, I guess, uh.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it was a good enough thing. It stopped the bleeding and uh sent him on down the road. So yeah. <laughs> uh how does that deployment end? You guys get back when? Uh got back from that one. Uh I don't have any dates in front of me, but it was uh Mm, around October, I think of '07. Right, uh, October, November, Yeah, it was before November, so it, it, late September, early October of '07, as we got back from that one.
0: Now, it, I mean, for for you know green berets and ODAs, it's you know quick three four month rest, and then right back in the hopper for another six seven months, right? Um,
1: <laughs> at that time, typically, yeah, uh, we were out of um, the next rotation, so we were not due to go back uh, in 2008. Um, so we reorganized, uh, I ended up going to, um, take over as the NCOIC for battalion operations for two seven or second battalion seventh group, uh, worked for some great individuals up there. Uh, Sergeant major, uh, Terry, uh, we're just say Terry Sanchez, who later became the group sergeant major, amazing NCO guy, just really helped a lot of us take our, our put our careers together on paper the way they needed to be. Cause my paperwork was horrible. Uh, I have no idea how I got promoted <laughs> with some of my paperwork. Um, he's the one is ultimately responsible for me making E8 because my paperwork, I was absolutely not going to, uh, but I worked for him in a three shot for about six months or so. I went back to a team. Actually I asked to go back to a B team uh, for our next deployment, which was down in South America. My Spanish is not good. Uh like I said, I was planning on going to fifth group or third group, uh, French and Arabic. I figured I was a shoe-in. I have a very low rating from years back with Spanish and I didn't practice it. I, I didn't and I didn't think that me going to an ODA and actually teaching guys on the ground uh was the best idea because my Spanish was not great. Uh and I didn't want to fumble through it and, and sound, you know, ridiculous. So uh, Terry put me to work on the B team and cause he left the three shop, but, you know, just where I did, uh, moved over to, to Charlie company and I stayed with Terry. Terry just basically stole me, uh, I said, Hey, what team you want to go to? I was like, man, we're going to South America. You'll know I'll blow. <laughs> so, uh, I said, well, what do you want to do? So I would love to go into deployment. I would love to go and help. I would love to go and learn and do some other stuff. But the B team, I think is probably the best place for me. He says, you want to stay on the B team? <laughs> If wow. I loved a little bit better, I uh, would be fighting for a team, but I don't. So this is what I think is my best option. So he kept me, uh, worked me down there, and it was a good trip down to Honduras. Uh, we call it SCAB, Sotokana Air Base, and we worked out of that for several months through Christmas of that next year. Uh, and then he put me in an ODA, and the, the next year I was back in Afghanistan um, with uh, – used to be 761, but they rearranged the three digits over to four digits – uh, so seven, two, three, one, uh, was my actual team number at that point. And, uh, you know, it was awesome, but, uh, 2008, we took most of that time for training and ranges and stuff. And I worked bigger side of stuff at battalion. And that was a headache, great learning experience because everybody puts in paperwork and sends it to battalion and just wonder where it goes. Well, I'm where it goes. <laughs> and I find myself in that seat. So I understood it a lot better. So when I went back to a company, it's like, hey, when you put this in, it's like, ah, oh, redo this, man. This is trash. You know what? Give it here. So, like, well, how do you know what it's supposed to look like? Well, I wrote the SOP. <laughs> so this is what it should look like, and it should slide right through. And, and, and it did. So I was a bit of an asset for that. Um, I think working that senior eight job as a pretty new E7 uh, also probably helped me get promoted. But with the paperwork that I had, <laughs> I still wouldn't have got promoted. It still – Terry took care of me on that big time. So you get back to Afghanistan in 09 again, right? Uh, yeah, and that was uh, we actually had a different mission. We had a liaison mission, so we went to the UAE uh, for a month uh, to train with them because that was our partner force uh, to go into Afghanistan with them. And that was a that was a different trip. Uh, it was entertaining. Uh, but we're on Firebase Robinson, is kind of out in the boonies a little bit. Uh, at the time, it was one of the ones that was way out in the boonies. Um, but it was, that was a good trip. That was fun. Uh, I had a lot of new guys on the team. I think we only had a, a couple of combat veterans on that team, but the the guys who were on that team were great. Uh, young dudes, motivated gung ho, uh, just get after it. And, and it was, that was a good trip because
0: you were so far out. Does that mean you were limited in the amount of engagements and contact you had to deal with?
1: Uh, we were limited in support. And now if we're in a fight, uh, we call in a tick, uh, troops in combat or contact, uh, yeah. troops in contact. Sorry. Um, well, we get support real quick, but logistically, um, trying to get, you know, food, <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't bring anything and, and give it to us. They had to airdrop it. We had to go pick, uh, so it, up. To, to go pick it up, uh, in a potential minefield because we found mines in it. So <laughs> everything's just getting our food is dangerous. Getting our ammo resupplies were dangerous. Um, so, and then, oh, by the way, we have to leave our fire base to go to this field, which is right, you know, down the hill. Um, and there's bad guys, you know, on the edges of that. So it was still a, a, a patrol. Basically, it was still a mission, uh, security, you know, gun trucks and everything else. And then while they're recovering all these, uh, these, uh, drop, you know, heavy drops, uh, and you get up to a close, pull a blanket back, say, okay, this one's, this one's ammo and explosives we need to pick this up first and get it, you know, out of the way from bad guy land, potential bag guy land. And so our food and, and lickies and chewies and stuff that we had uh, asked for, you know, if they showed up, that's how they got there. Got it. Um,
0: I don't want to fast forward too much and skip over anything of significance,
1: but, yeah. um, anything else stand out from that deployment? Um, it was, that's a deployment that, like I said, my first junior I ever had Justin, who's currently, uh, uh, Sergeant major in seventh group. So um, he's done quite well. Um, he looked at me and was like, hey, you know, what's it like? And I was like, honestly, uh, a lot of boredom, which leads to complacency, and then a lot of fast action stuff, and then back to slow and boredom and complacency, so don't get complacent. And that was my biggest lesson before we ever left to get over there was that. Um, during that rotation, he acknowledges, says, I see exactly what you're talking about now. Um, so much prep, so much this, so much that. And it's like, okay, there's nothing. But then any one of the, like, I had to say that their fighting was based on religious stuff, but let's be honest. Uh, so Eids, Ramadan, we're there for all of that on that tour. And we fought pretty nasty, you know, for days, weeks at a time, every day, every night, you know, through the night and we're getting constantly getting resupplied, but we stockpiled for that and we were Okay. Um, but then halfway during the fighting, we had to step out back and go pick up some more supplies, which is, you know, our little field that they were bundle drop stuff. So it it was, it was constant and it was a, a nonstop fight, uh, just to be able to, to continue fighting and then, okay, when that tapered down and then we go off and do missions and whatnot, you know, we had intel on this guy, we go and get him. We had intel on these people, we went and got them. Um, I think a lot of guys grew up a lot. Uh, on that trip myself included I, i'm constantly learning you know because for the first time i have a junior <laughs> so uh that was all new to me as well you know not the fighting part but just like i i, I took the place of bow which i never felt that i could take the place of bow but all yeah. of a sudden i'm a senior you know weapons sergeant and i have a junior weapons sergeant looking at me for advice, assistance, stuff like that. And Justin was a, just a, amazing. You know, that, I wish when I was in Ranger Battalion, I had like 10 of him, you know, in every squad. It, he was just amazing. Um, Still is, you know, it's just great NCO, you know, great SF guy. Um, so there was a couple of times in there that uh, you never know what the outcome is going to be. You hope the outcome is going to be, I'm going to go through the door. I'm going to see the bad guy. I'm going to, you know, win. There's a couple of times in there that uh, me and Justin were, you know, over top of a wall, you know, saw a guy, thought we saw a guy. We're trying to maneuver around a little bit. All of a sudden, an RPG goes off and we all hunkered down. An RPG hit probably two feet shy of the top of that wall where we were. You know, we didn't know if the wall was going to collapse or everything else. And we were we we're pretty shake, rattle, and rolled at that point. You know, we got hearing protection in and whatnot. But uh, if we didn't, we'd be, you know, deaf for, you know, a few minutes at least. And I, was, I looked at Justin with all seriousness, like, hey, bro, I'm not sure how this day is going to work out. <laughs> but if it don't work out the way we hope, man, I'll see you on the other side. And we just kept getting after it, you know. And uh, I think a lot of guys were, you know, with situations like that, you, you, you learn a lot about yourself. And you learn a lot about your, your friends and your buddies and your teammates. And uh, we turned out to be um, an exceptionally close and exceptionally, you know, um, formidable team um and it, it was it was good it was good it was very good when you say you
0: learn a lot about yourself and your teammates I mean look I, I can assume what most of those are um just about you know taking care of each other watching each other's back and make sure everybody is is okay and staying in the fight and all that things but was there anything sort of that stood out about one of those things that you learned more than the other that was maybe surprising or you didn't think you would you would come to realize well
1: everybody wants to be at least they say they want to be the guy that you can count on. Right. And when stuff's really nasty like that, that's when you have, I hate to say your chance to prove yourself, but yes, uh, I'm, I got your back, bro. You know, that that means a lot more than just those couple of words, you know, and in a situation like that one, you know, for instance, uh, if one or two guys got up and ran that way, you know, we would know something about them, but they didn't, uh, repositioned a little bit cause where we were, we might've fell through the wall or the floor. Um, so, but nobody left, nobody cried, nobody screamed, nobody, nothing. And it was like, well, damn, that was close. Uh, let's get to a better spot and just moved a few feet or, or, or a different you know, rooftop or, or, or what have you. Um, and everybody just looked for a better way to fight. Um, and you look at some of the guys and they're just like, uh, I, are we good? Yes, we are good. And we just keep getting after it. So, you know, the, the times I've said, I got your back, bro, is now melted in solidity. And the times other guys have said, I got your back, bro. And you know, sometimes you might look at it as he's new, maybe he's does me Everybody stayed, everybody fought, nobody quit. And like I said, that was just one instance uh, of dozens, you know, on that deployment uh, in that location that, uh, you know, you, you, you learned a lot about yourself. And it's like, damn, I said, I got your back, bro. And I was able to actually follow through with it. So it's obvious that I meant it. And him and him and him and him. Everybody has said it. Everybody means it. I don't have to second guess you ever, ever, ever. Um, and, and, that's, that's just, everybody's just. Is that, that's w. something
0: that was ever talked about after the fact, like, did you ever, you know, acknowledge Hey man, I saw you, I knew you were there. It was a good feeling. Like, is that, yeah. or is it just sort of silently? You,
1: um, you know? I think things like that should be mentioned more and more of like a type of thing, you know, a class, if you will. Uh, we've had one-on-one talks with that and it's like, Hey, I'm going through here. Who's going with you? Oh, Justin. Yeah. I feel good about that because I know if I'm going through a door and Justin's the next guy behind me, well, I don't have to second guess that ever, you know, and and vice versa. It's like, who do you want to go into a room with you? You know, who would you want to follow into a room? Everybody just points at me, you know, who do you want to, you know, and and that's, that's just the the reputation you get within each other. Um, And we talked about it individually onesies and twosies, maybe little two or three way conversations but as far as a whole team, you know, that, that's a lot of information to cover, and it's that's just an excuse. <laughs> um, I think it should be spoken more about, but then you're starting to get into feelings, and, and a lot of guys are really, you know, when it comes to feelings. Um, I was, you know, just like the rest of them, you know, I, I was at, you know bow your shoulders back, cross your arms, and just look just mean. (laughs) Uh, However, I've discovered that if we'd have probably talked about feelings a little bit more, um, maybe that could have helped some folks' uh, mentality, uh, just the way they look at the world, maybe. Uh, The way they look at each other, because it's not just like, oh, I'm going in there to support Staff Sergeant so-and-so. You know, and Staff Sergeant so-and-so has to come in with me because we we said he had to. (laughs) It's like, nah, bro, Uh, I'm following Jay in the door. And if anybody even looks at Jay Crooked, they're getting smoked. And everybody realized that I said that and everybody realized that I'm absolutely going to go through with that and vice versa. So uh, there's a lot of feelings involved in that. When I say a team is a tight knit unit, it's not a tight knit unit. It's a little, little family. And the more people you have in there that understand that, and can find that way to link in with each other, uh, you know, feelings get tossed around a little bit, feelings get tossed out a lot. Um, but no, that's, that was, that was a very, very, very tight knit group of men. Um, and, and that was a, that was our little family and it was awesome. And there's lots of those out there to some teams that really never mesh uh, and you can see it, you know, in, in their, their missions and you can see it in their daily life um, you know, while deployed or not. Um, and then you see the guys that are constantly at each other's house, constantly doing stuff together, you know, this guy's into boating, but I'm in the four wheelers. Well, you know, I'll go boating with you guys. You go wheeling with me, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is. And you see the guys in, in, on the teams that are doing that, even when you're not deployed, man, that's, that is beautiful. <laughs> Honestly,
0: it really is. All right. Um, you have one more final deployment to Afghanistan um, and that what starts late 2010 into 2011?
1: Uh, summertime. Yeah. Uh, so when I got back from that second tour, I found myself as one of the senior guys, you know, at 18 Bravos in the company again. Right. Um, so I had some choices to make. Uh, typically, you know, I'm looking at, you know, several years in group at this point uh, and I didn't have a specialty. You know, I wasn't a dive supervisor, you know, I wasn't a halo jump master, you know, things like that. So I basically saw myself as having a target on my back uh, for being, we call it SWIC, going to the schoolhouse, going to SWIC to be an instructor for Green Braves. Well, people that want to do that, you know, they want to do that because they think they have something to teach and or they want to get promoted. I really didn't care to get promoted. <laughs> thus my paperwork being in shambles for so long. Um so I was looking for something to do that would keep me from going to SWIC. Um, we have had our own canine section in seven special forces group since 2007. Um, it had some folks over there that I didn't know, but then all of a sudden we had a guy or two over there that I did know. And uh, so I started inquiring and say, Hey man, what's up with the canines? And they're like, Oh bro, it's, it's fun. You're still doing SF stuff, but you're, <laughs> you're playing with dogs <laughs> you're doing cool stuff with dogs, but you're, Essentially, you're playing with dogs. So I looked at it more and more. Talked to Mark. I said, Hey, bro, you're retiring after this trip. You know, our team's aren't. And he said, Yeah, I think I'm done, man. I'm sitting, you know, 20 some years, whatever. I'm, I'm ready to go on to my wife and just kind of enjoy the twilight years kind of thing. And uh, I said, Dude, I'm, you know, this guy's leaving a team. because He's got two deployments. This guy's leaving a team. He's got two deployments. This guy's getting promoted. He's moving over to, to, you know, this other unit. It's like we're not disbanding the team, but there's a lot of dudes on this team that are leaving. And I like, bro, if I end up leaving going to Swick, I'll just be assed up. And I just don't – I don't want to, honestly. The, nothing wrong with it. You know, I just didn't want to go to SWCC. So uh, I kept asking about the canines. And finally, I got a slot over there. It's like, okay, cool. So we came back from that deployment. Uh, that was uh, February, yeah, February of 10, uh, 2010. And uh, I moved over to canines uh, the next month. Um, came back off leave, you know, cleared out my locker, handed all my other, you know, 18 Bravo collection stuff over to, to my junior Justin. And, uh, you know, I moved over to Canines and started playing with dogs. And I went to the schoolhouse. Uh, they don't really talk about where it is, but it's up north. <laughs> we go to a, a school up there and it was good. It was, it was awesome school. And I went to several other classes at the same location in, in pre, you know, years after. Um, so now I'm still going to deploy with teams. Uh, it's just not technically my team. I'm just an attachment to a team as a canine. I'm still an SF guy. So knowledgeable SF guy. Um, but I have a dog attached to me and it was awesome. We had, uh, uh, linked up with a team, Sean of the team I was being attached to, uh, Rick, who's just a, was an amazing Ranger, amazing SF guy. Uh, all the dudes in that team were stellar. Uh, literally just stellar performers all the way around. And, uh, so made a deployment with them. We had a great trip. Uh, we had the commando mission. So everything we did on that tour was with like, the, you know, not the regular helicopters, but the big boy helicopters, you know. And uh, we had the commandos. So there's you know an SFODA with attachments, you know, and uh, you know a company of commandos, and we're doing actually really good stuff. Um, it, it we had a great deployment, great trip, some awesome missions, some good fights. Um. <laughs> Had, had one faux pas <laughs> during that trip uh, prior, you know, previous to me getting hurt, which is my own fault, but more on that in a second. So, uh, we've been fighting for about two and a half, three days, and, you know, we got resupplied with ammunition, with uh, grenades, with explosives, with everything. It, it, was, it was a pretty pretty nasty scrap. Um so as a, the, the big boy helicopters were landing, we had to lay out like, hey, this is where you're going, this is where you're going. It's the whole order of how we're going to get on the birds and get out of there. So me and one other SF guy and a couple of commandos and my dog were moving to the helicopter, and they all took off. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, hey, man, everybody lay down. Like, lay down. Because we've been fighting for like two and a half days. And all the helicopters just lifted off. And there's two green brays, a dog, and three commandos. Lay down. Don't move. <laughs> so I'm on the radio, you know, switch channels. Hey, canine is on the HLZ. They're like, no, canine is on chalk four. It's like, I am canine. I am on the HLZ. <laughs> so they scrambled a little bit, uh, figured out which bird had the room for five packs. Uh, a couple of them came back and landed. And uh, that was a little little pucker factor going on there. Cause like I said, we've been fighting for a bit and now we're trying to punch out and weather was not going to stay, you know, all these other factors were in there. And that could have been, you know, another movie, (laughs) like not an awesome ending one. Right. Exactly. So yeah. uh, Yeah. A little little, more than a little bit of a, Hey, what were you thinking
0: as you're watching the choppers take off and you're sitting there going, uh, that's my ride.
1: I was like, well, uh, if they don't come back real quick, uh we're gonna be in a fight with the hundred or so people we've been in a fight eh, you know we're gonna have to run hard <laughs> uh, <and> fast <laughs> and and figure something out, so like I said, I got in radio was arguing with the guy saying canine is on the ground on HLZ.' and no, canine's in chalk four It's like, I am canine." <laughs> I am on the HLZ currently with four packs. <laughs> wow! I can only imagine, you know, everybody else in the bird. Me and Rick talked about it. You know, the team saw it. Me and Rick talked about it later on and said, "Bro, I was about to yell at somebody because I thought somebody was joking." I was like, "That is not something cool to joke about." I was like, "I feel the same way. <laughs> it was not cool to talk about. Definitely not cool to joke about." was a cool
0: joke about. Also, wasn't cool to be laying on oh, the. No, it absolutely wasn't. it off, yeah. Um,
1: uh, so a lot of it's not cool. Oh, yeah, a lot of not cool going on on that, that particular – and it was freezing cold, <laughs> but wow. not cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, a little pucker factor there, but, you know, uh, learned a lot on that trip. And literally, it's that, um, you know, it was, oh, it was the last mission, you know, no big deal. Well, this mission got scratched several times due to weather, due to, you know well, – uh, Let me
0: let me just pre- – let me set it up for everybody just so they know. It was February okay. 17, 2011. Yeah, uh, this one would be end up being your last mission. It was your last organized mission. It wasn't you know thrown together, but it was the last one you had already kind of worked on the the replacement in place unit. It was already on ground ready to take over for you guys. I mean, it was one of those very last days you were supposed to be on the ground in Afghanistan.
1: Yes. Uh, and this and like I said, this one got pushed off a few times, so we've pretty much forgotten about it. Um, And then the weather was right. The passes were clear enough, you know, in the forecast. Was it like
0: an HVT mission? Were you you going to get somebody or is it more of a engagement type deal or what?
1: I think it was more the area. Again, I I wasn't the – this this was also over a decade ago, and my memory's good, but details like that. Um, But, yeah, it it was something that was big enough that they kept on the plate, you know, but it wasn't like earth shattering because we didn't put all of our assets into it. So uh we moved in. Uh we're along the Hellman River. I can I can say that. Uh it, it's a place that I was familiar with because I was at Fob Rob on the last tour Fab Robinson. So we were literally like eight or nine K away from my old stomping grounds from the year previous. So uh moving around, uh we found some ID stuff, some ID making materials in a building, our goal at this point, you know, for this little piece. Was to clear around that building uh, and and figure out what was inside of it. If it was worth going into, if it was worth blowing in place, you know, whatever. So uh, we started clearing it, and we got to a point. You know, my dog and myself, we found one, or we we test fired on one. And the reason I say that is every bomb is made from mm, urea. <laughs> okay, now that's going to change based on your diet, based on your area, you know, based on a whole bunch of things. So, um, we had found one and it was red, you know, uh, rendered inert, you know, taking the blasting pieces away from it, whatnot. So I sent my dog up there. He found it and sat on it. I dropped the ball back by my location. He came back to me and said, Hey, Axe is registering. You know, it's good. You know, Axe was, uh, name my dog. So, um, said, okay, cool. We need to keep looking, uh, sent him out again. Uh, found some more stuff, but we weren't real clear on exactly where it was. So we kind of moved up, uh, but kind of stayed back around the corner of the building. Remember, we're still in bad guy land. You know, we had a little fight the evening before, but nothing, you know, earth shattering, but, you know, clearing some stuff. And uh, the EOD guys were kind of working on the area. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, uh, my, my thoughts were, huh, let's just back up and let them work. Um, and what I said, started to say was, Hey, let's give these guys some room. <laughs> but in my head, I'm thinking, let's, let's give these, let's back up, you know, just, just staying clear of what could potentially be bad. Uh, I didn't get the words out. Um, now we had been in an area that was previously cleared, which is a lick on me. Cause I had got the bomb sniffing dog attached to me. Um, I didn't put Axe to work in that area, but Axe was working in that area, which is something we trained them to do. But something they trained us to do is to pay attention to your dog 100% of the time if yeah. possible. Um so Axe uh, it registered later on that Axe was actually in odor. Um I just wasn't clear on what he was Does that to mean when you mean. say in odor? Uh he was recognizing a scent that gets him paid with a tennis ball, which the only thing he's registered to get paid with a tennis ball for odor is explosives. So he was in odor and he's like, oh, I don't know what this is, but I think this is something that daddy will give me a tennis ball for. And I was not paying attention to him, period. So as it were, I'd been standing on it for, I don't know, a minute. And then all at the same time, you know, it's starting to register. It's like, dude, my dog's in odor. Well, at the same time, click, boom. Uh, I flew back a few feet. Axe got knocked that way a few feet. You know, the other two guys were with me, got knocked that way a few feet. Um, I thought that we got hit by indirect. That was the first thing that registered indirect, uh, mortar fire, artillery fire, stuff like that. So being a range school graduate and all the other things, uh, my first instinct is we need to stand up and we need to move away from here. Cause if the enemy knows we're there, they have pretty decent indirect fire capabilities. <laughs> I don't want a second round to come in, uh, where we're already at. That's going to you know, hurt us. Um, uh, one of my buddies from the Q course actually was on that team, uh, and Chris is uh, laying on top of me, and uh, I was like, dude, "You went to Ranger School too, dude. You know this is not <laughs> like, oh, just stay down, to stay down." It's like, bro, that's not what you do for indirect fire. It's not registering to me that anything had happened to me yet. Um. So I hear over the little radio, my little squawk box out of my shoulder, you know, canine down, canine down. And I'm looking and said, dude, Axe is fine. We need to not be here. We need to get up and move. Axe is going to bite you. You should get off me. So he looked at Axe, and Axe is getting aggressive towards Chris. And he kind of, you know, sat up to a knee and just stiff on me, you know, on my chest. And I'm still trying to sit up. And that's when I looked and I saw I had some some issues going on, you know, uh, below the knees here. And, oh, it hit, Oh. Oh, that's what happened. <laughs> Not indirect IED. Now I'm 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 pissed is what I am. Uh, embarrassed, you know, pissed, you know, all those kind of mixed together. Um. So we had we had worked with you know the thoughts of having someone else that could take our dog should something happen to us. Uh, I had a guy that was another attachment at team. Great dude. Uh, was previously stationed in Germany. Married a German lady. Spoke fluent German. Well, my dog trained in Dutch. And he's a dog lover. So I was like, hey, you want to play with Axe for a little bit? I said, like, oh, yeah, I do, I do, I do. So I taught him how to work him a little bit, taught him how to at least take him away from me so where, you know, if I was gone, you know, or, you know, injured, uh, Axe wouldn't be biting the people who were trying to take care of me. So, you know, Wiseman got there, gave him the ball, getting my leash, you know, tennis ball, and uh, he come on, Axe, let's go. So he got him out of there, and I'm just laying there angry, uh, I'm not trying to act tough. I'm really, truly not. Nothing hurt yet. Uh, the way it's explained to me, your entire nerve from your brain to your fingertip, that's one piece, okay? There's several in between there. But the piece that feels this right here, think of it like an extension cord plug. If you cut the head of the plug off, well, the rest of that extension cord doesn't register feeling it's not, it's a nerve cluster that actually feels stuff. So with that being cut, (laughs) uh, ends of extension cords, there was no pain. Like it wasn't comfortable. It was just, yeah. So the worst pain I ever felt in my life was about three seconds later when Chris and and ski were strapping, uh, tourniquets on me. That hurts (laughs) a lot. Um, so now pause that for a second 36 hours earlier my old platoon song from ranger regiment his little brother is an sf guy so john uh was injured 36 hours prior to me now he's a very high double leg amputee and a hand uh you might have seen him uh not performing but traveling with the uh, lieutenant dan band they do a lot of stuff with them uh it's great dude um so me and our medics and our team had that talk just, you know, before we went out. It's like, hey man, if I end up missing stuff, you know, y'all met my buddy John. Yeah, his his brother was, you know, my tune saw, him, our team son, Uh, Rick had actually served with his brother Mike. Um, and it's like, hey, Yeah, you remember John? said, Yeah, well he just got busted up. You know, he's missing a lot of stuff, you know, pieces and parts. So, hey man, if I end up getting mangled up like that, bro, just uh Loosen that tourniquet up, man. Give me something to feel good. Give me a high five if you can. And bro, I'll see you on the other side. I don't want to go home like that. This conversation took place about twenty four hours ago. Well, here I am. You know, and I got Chris and Ski put a up the door, step. <laughs> You know. And uh, you know, when Doc got over there, uh it was amazing eighteen Delta. Uh did some other stuff after he left uh, group. It was also amazing. Um And uh, so he gets over there and he's looking me in the face as he's loosening the tourniquets and had to move them up and then put them back in place. Now, I'm conscious. I'm completely coherent like we're speaking right now. And he was waiting for me to be like, hey, bro, why don't you loosen that bad boy up and leave it? And I never did. I just just grin and bear it while he cranked him back down. I guess when the 18 Delta got there, who knows better, he said, they're too low. I got to loosen them. I got to move them up about three, four inches. Okay, so the worst pain I ever felt in my life was the tourniquets being applied, followed by the second worst pain I have felt in my life, which is them loosening them back up and moving them up and cranking them back down. Um, so he gave me the you know fentanyl lollipop, he jammed me with you know a little bit of Doctor Feel Good and each Shoulder, and I was like, bro, this hurts still. Like it's not even taking the edge off. You know, he said, bro, I can't give you any more on the ground. You know that. You know, he he knows my background as far as going through the 18 Delta Course as much as I did. And uh, so you know, I can't give any more. I said, but when you get on the bird, bro, they're going to hook you up. Okay, roger that. I'll grit and bear it for a little bit longer. And uh, so I'm still completely coherent. You know, they picked me up on a skekko, moved to the bird. And uh, everybody's, you know, slapping hands on me. Hey, bro, we'll see you very soon. You know, because literally we're supposed to be back in the States in three weeks. <laughs> you know, right. I, I ended up getting back there a little bit before they did, but not the way I wanted to. So I'm on the bird and uh, we take off. Big old Chinook. And real like,
0: quick, real quick, did yeah. you ever like be, be able to sit up and look down at your legs and yeah. see what the damage was? Yeah. Okay, so yeah.
1: what was your thought when you um, saw So my right one was gone. Like, like it, it was there. I could see it, but it was one hundred percent not attached anymore. Um my left one was there, but it was mangled up pretty bad. I you know, and then I could actually laughing, not joking, um, I could actually see blood with my pulse you know, squirting out oh, of the end. Right of the right That was weird. Um, and when a tourniquet got applied, I saw it just get a little, a little less and a little less. And then when, of course, when Doc had to loosen that one up, it just went to a fire hose again. And then as he tightened it back up, you know, a little bit higher, he saw it, you know, stop so much and then it just stopped. Uh, so uh, just weird that I could see that um, and actually, oh, I knew that that's what they were talking about in the medic course. <laughs> I had never actually seen it. it, now really now so it, it together. Yeah. Now, now it's
0: all starting to come back.
1: Oh, it's all right there.
0: All right. So, so you get on the bird. Go
1: ahead. You're going on a bird, bird takes off, you know, there's a little bit of stuff going on, but it wasn't like we're in the middle of a firefight or nothing like that. So bird takes off in a hurry. We're out of there. So uh, as soon as we got, you know, up a little bit, we're moving. And I saw the medic, the flight medic was walking around. I was like, Hey bro you got anything to fucking make this pain, you know, go away is yeah, mate, hold on a minute. But <laughs> big Australian flag on the ceiling. I was like, okay, this makes sense now. <laughs> so I don't know what he hit me with, but it was a lot. Um, cause I went like, I was out almost instantly. Uh, I woke up clean in a room with clean sheets, you know, obviously a hospital surgery was already done. So I was hoping, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you're laying in bed, you know, and you got the sheet pulled up or blanket, whatever, you see your toes sticking up, you know, in the sheets. I was really hoping when I looked down that I would see that. Oh, yeah. And no, because one of the last things I told him is, hey, bro, if you can save them, dude, I don't care if there's a hardware store in each leg. Uh, if you can put it back on, it'd be great. And obviously that didn't work out. So I woke up and I saw just my legs just stop, you know, and that, that's where the sheets were laying. I was like, ah. Instantly, I'm in a really bad mood. So um, I start yelling at people. (laughs) So uh, I didn't have anything good to yell about, so I just made some stuff up. So I was like, "Hey, where's my feet?" (laughs) So I was like, "Oh, Sean Corbin's awake." It's like, "Oh, I'll get the doctor," you know. So they're coming in, it's like, "Yeah, hey, where are my feet?" He's like, "Oh, Sean Corbin, there was an accident." "Yeah, Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Fast forward. Next slide. Where are they? And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Now, meanwhile, I'm in the backseat of my own head. And, dude, you're an asshole. (laughs) Quit messing with these people. And, um, you know, it's like, I'm not understanding the question. It's like $190 Merrill Boots. I want them back now. As I'm saying it, the little backseat drivers, nothing I'm saying makes sense. And it's just me being a prick. Um, and then, you know, all this is happening. They're like, uh, Merrill Boots? I don't know. Uh said, oh, Sergeant Corbin's awake. Uh, Sergeant Baker was trying to get a hold of you. One of my canine guys. And I was like, you, get me an iridium. And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> so he finds me an iridium phone, brings it over to me, my my. My right eye is jacked up pretty decent, Uh, corneal abrasion, you know, whatnot, and uh, I can't focus, and I'm trying to dial. I remember the numbers. I've got to memorize numbers, and uh, but I can't see. But now I see I don't have any bars. I'm like, hey, take me outside. Like, bro, you're in the ICU. I really don't care. I need to make this phone call. Bring me outside. So they did. I mean, I don't know if they laid extension cords, you know, whatever. They moved me right outside the door from in the open. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, oh, man, it's bright. So the dude was too close to me. I just reached up on his face and grabbed his sunglasses off his face and put them on me. And so again, i like, what the hell? I'm like, hey, go get me a Coke. So I'm trying to dial this number. I'm wearing this other dude's sunglasses. He brings me a Dr. Pepper. I wasn't thrilled about that. Nothing against Dr. Pepper, but I asked for a Coke. He brought me something not a Coke. Um, I get a hold of Ryan. I was like, hey, bro. He goes, hey, dude, are you okay? It's like, ah, I had a lowering kit installed, bro, but I'm good. You know, at this moment, my dad walks out the door. My dad's in 20 special forces group. Uh, he's a couple fire bases over from me. So my dad walks out and he's like, Corb, what's up, bro? And I was like, hey, Ryan, dad just got here, man. Gotta go. I'm on the phone. It's like, just this asshole brought me a Dr. Pepper. You believe that shit? Ah, ah, <laughs> and that's the conversation that I'm having with all these people. So, you know, when my dad walks in the office in, in the, the ICU, is like, yeah, I'm here looking for Sean Corbin. And he's oh, you must be the dad. He goes, yeah. So they open the curtain. Well, I'm not there. So dad's like, well, you know, did you lose him? I mean, from what I understand, he didn't walk out of here. So they're like basically following in cords and, and stuff out the doors. And that's when he walks out and finds me on the phone wearing this dude's sunglasses, drinking a Dr. Pepper, complaining about it. The hell is going on here? <laughs> like, man, I, I This this is a lot. <laughs> um, so uh, I think a lot of my recovery uh, went the direction that it did um, because there were no questions about, on my end at least, um, how is my family going to take this? Right. Because my family, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids. Um, my family is six feet away from me. Um, you know, all of those questions, all those thoughts, all those feelings. So I didn't have to wonder or try to explain to it over the phone. Hey, you know, I got busted up, you know, it's not that bad, but you know, I wear a different shoe size now, you know, how do you joke about that when your family's all twisted up and worried? Well, my family's six feet away from me. I, I don't have to explain anything. <laughs> so now one, one really, really bad piece of this. So they do notifications. They need notifications for deaths or injuries. So they did a notification for injury to my mother. They go to her school. She's a teacher, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, uh, except for her children. So small school, small rural area school. Uh, Miss Corbin, we need you to come to the office. And he goes, uh, we're sending somebody down to take your class. So she's like, uh. she goes up towards the office, sees some military-looking folks. And it's like, you know, you know, Miss Corbin. Yes. Um, okay. Sean Corbin was injured, you know, in Afghanistan. She goes, which one? He's like, well, the one that was in Afghanistan she said, which one <laughs> This is like a who's on first kind of thing all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Uh, says, well, the one assigned to special operations command she said, which, Which one? one. <laughs> this goes on for a minute or two, and mom's recanting this. You know, months, years later, whatever. She's, I, did, did, I don't, I don't know what's going on, and then try to get on social media. Of course, there's a blackout anytime somebody gets injured, so the next kid doesn't find out via social media. They find out from official channels, you know. And dad can't call because we're moving around, you know, and all this other stuff. So, mom's left in bewilderment about, I don't know what happened. So, she explained it to his, like, look, <laughs> there's a Sergeant Corbin assigned to Special Operations. Uh, his son, also Sergeant Corbin, is assigned to Special Operations in Afghanistan. You're going to have to help me out here. Uh, so, they found a name, Nelson. He goes, okay, uh, my husband's name is Nelson Corbin. My son's name is Christopher Nelson Corbin. <laughs> like, you're You're... You're killing me here, small. <laughs> so this goes on for a while. Finally, I got it. Okay. Uh, the one with the social security number of this, they're like, okay, that's my son. Okay. Thank you. I guess, uh, have a nice day and continue marching. Um, so uh, my dad escorted me, um, from my surgery, uh, into other surgeries and then from Bagram to Launstuhl, Germany, uh, I woke up a few times at launch I don't have memories of what was there. I've since been back to launch one of the speaking engagements I was telling you about. Um, and actually I saw that I had the same bed as Leroy Petrie, who was on that trip with me, you know, back to launch at different times. He was a couple years ahead of me. Um, so I was like, Oh yeah, I kind of remember this room because I remember my dad yelling at some people when I woke up and then went back to sleep, you know, that was it. Um, and then arriving at Walter Reed, uh, um, Dad also escorted me all the way to Walter Reed because his tour was about up too. So somebody packed up his room and boxed it and sent it back. Somebody packed up my room and boxed it and sent it back. And Wiseman took care of my dog and brought him back. Um, Brought him back to Kandahar where the other canine guys were, and he kind of got put in a mix with that and shipped back overseas, back to the states. So uh, the the journey through Walter Reed was entertaining. Uh, Had some some issues with a. uh, The uh, folks who were supposed to make the pain go away, (laughs) they had some issues, (laughs) and and we didn't get along very well, and uh, we finally got sorted out after a couple weeks, and I was uh, just very, very – met some great folks there, but overall, I was very, very happy to be leaving Walter Reed and returning to duty uh, as quickly as I possibly could. Okay. So, I mean, let's just
0: dissect this here because it's impressive that you were able to return to duty. But what? how did that conversation go? Was there ever somebody who said, hey, you're done here, Corbin? Or did somebody say, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a chance you could come back? Did you say, I wanted to come back? How does that all unfold?
1: So I fired a lot of people. <laughs> uh, first one, uh, my first week or so uh, after, you know, becoming coherent, Uh, getting out of all the surgeries, uh, had some infection, had some wound vacs, had some other stuff in and out, up and down, pain, this, that, and the other. I'm finally coherent as I am now and making my own decisions now. So I get a physical therapist, you know, and comes down to the room and it's like, okay, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's see where you're at mentally, you know, where you see yourself in a year. It's like, well, uh, back in Afghanistan shooting a dude who blew me up or somebody, you know, equally bad, you know, whatever. It's like, eh, hell. We'd like to keep it a little bit more realistic. Mm. Like, I see that as becoming positive, pretty freaking realistic. You know? I don't know, you tell me what you think, and I'll tell you how to modify that. I says, well, with you, I see six months we'll probably have you walking. You know, hopefully pretty well. You know, in twelve months we'll have you doing some athletic activities, running and things of that nature. In eighteen months we'll have you ready to medically retire. And start the next chapter, you know, of your life. I was like, you're fired. Don't ever come in my room again. You're the you're, you're the worst person I've met since I've been here at Walter Reed. Just just get out. We'll start from blank with somebody else. But that's horrible. So I uh, got my next one in there. We started doing some weightlifting stuff in the room, rubber bands and stuff. And as soon as I got all the stuff unplugged from me, uh, I could go into the gym and, I just, you know, Oh, we're doing this stuff. We're doing core. It's like, actually, my core is pretty strong. So let's do this. It says, well, you know, I don't have feet. It says, well, let's try see if you can't do, you know, 50 flutter kicks. I was like, well, I ain't bragging. Uh, but I typically do like 500 with boots on. <laughs> so 50 with less weight on the end is not really super challenging. So let's, you got some ankle weights. I can strap to my knees or something. So that's just a level that they were kind of, you know, Thinking and I was not thinking the same path. Um, I ended up firing my second physical therapist as well. Um, I was actually returned to duty um, a few weeks prior by orders, um, and my physical therapist got those orders canceled. Uh, when I went to pick them up, they weren't there. Says, "Well, no, your physical therapist called and said, you know, uh, you're you cancel your orders." Like, she don't make those decisions. Like, how does that? So I went back. I was like, hey, uh, what's up with this? Oh, you could be one of the best walkers that Walter Reed's ever turned out, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, I, I don't really care. Uh, I don't. I, I have a need to be needed. And being here is not getting that need satisfied. I need to go back to work. Um, so don't make any more decisions about my future because you're not part of it. You're fired. And uh, yeah, I, I made a lot of friends with that maneuver as well. So, um, do I. I I hate, not that I hate, I dislike um, talking about it because no matter how I say it, it sounds like I'm bragging. Uh, I'm just going to cover some dates. Uh, I was injured on 17 February, double amputation, traumatic. I was surgery on 18 February, you know, basically they evened me out. Like I said, one was still there, but it was mangled. This one was gone right here. Well, they made the other one the same length that'll they knew that that would come into play later on with prosthetics and stuff like that. So unbeknownst sure. to me, <laughs> they actually did me a favor. I was not happy about that at the time, but later on in life, I realized that how much of a favor that actually was. Right. Um, so that puts me getting to Walter Reed. Um, I think it was about the 24th of February, uh, just a few days, week later, um, I took my first steps on one April, on April Fool's Day. So I'm going to do some quick math there. That's not a lot. Um, I was say, I had that work out? No, it worked out great. You know, I just kept walking. You know, when it hurt, I stopped. You know, and start walking some more. And then when it hurt, I stopped. And when it hurt too bad, I'll say I stopped. Um, but I was supposed to be returned to duty on one July um, of said, the same year. Yeah, um, those amazing. are orders that got canceled. Um, so I got new orders put in and I was returned to duty on 15 July. So from 17 February injury to 15 July, a couple days shy of five months from injury to return to duty, moving myself back to Fort Bragg. Uh, I drove my own truck back to Fort Bragg, uh, with all my stuff in it and went back to work. Um, but that time frame, we were also in the middle of a transition move from Fort Bragg to Eglin Air Force Base because 7th Group, part of BRAC, uh, got moved down to Florida. So I got there just in time to hide from the med board that they were undoubtedly supposed to have already started um, and made a PCS down to Eglin Air Force Base. And then when they thought they were going to start a med board again, um, I went on a deployment for training (laughs) to Texas and uh, New Mexico. So while I'm down in Eglin, uh, I had Slicky Boy this, and he didn't notice it, so I rode with it. I went to pick up my permanent, my P three profile uh, from the, the one of the head docs there, and I noticed on the form that Airborne Operations wasn't sh- sh- scratched through. So I just kind of grabbed it and was like, "All right, doc, I uh, appreciate it. See you later." Oh, I still got to sign it, so I put it down at his desk and like hold, held the piece of paper in place, but I covered up the part that he didn't scratch. And he signed this. Hey, Doc, man, I appreciate it, all man. Thanks for your help. You know, we'll see you in the future, blah, blah, blah. So when I go down there and talk to our group surgeon, And I was like, hey, can I still jump? Are y'all going to let me? He says, well, you got a P3 profile. And I'm holding it up to him. It's like, it doesn't say that I can't. See? <coughs> so he says, well, do you want to jump? He said, I want to know if I can. You know, I'm going to try it, and we'll go from there. So now when you're, de- when you're in an airborne unit and you're deployed for X amount of time, jump rule four covers as long as you Get current on your jumps in a short amount of time. You're still covered on everyone, this and the other. So I had a couple jumps to make up, according to jump rule four, to get current and continue my pay and continue my status. So I had to jump like three times, you know, in a week. Um, Why I I jumped two times in a day, we didn't have have another jump set up until the following week, specifically to catch guys up like that. So I jumped three times, you know, within uh, about eight days, and that got me current, and I broke every pair of legs that I was wearing. I was going to say, jump <laughs> with your prosthetics on you said. <laughs> uh,
0: just jerk, land, on, land on your ass and hope for the
1: best. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. So, right. uh, I tried this, that, and the other. So, my first jump, you remember having to tie down all your equipment in all kinds of crazy ways? Yeah. I've got a rigger belt and I have 550 cord looped to that running down the inside of my pants down to my ankles to hold. Well, <laughs> prosthetic on. You know. And I had the 550 cord secured around here. That and is incredible. Stuff from just coming off when it come out of the boom. So as it turns out, I didn't need any of that. Uh, it stays on just fine. Um, so that that wasn't a bother. Um, so yeah, I caught up on jump rule four, and then stayed on airborne status for the next three years until I did actually retire. So yeah, it was it was entertaining. <laughs> I, I had a great time with it. <laughs> a lot of people were just like but I don't really know what you're like, what you're doing. <laughs> it's like, I'm just not done yet. You know, I started with the, I'm going to do four years and get out. And then I had the option to do something cool. So I stayed. And then another option to do some more cool stuff. So I stayed. And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, like past that 10 year part. And I was like, well, well, if I don't stay to 20, that's kind of dumb. So I'm going to stay, I'm going to do 20. I'm going to retire. And I wasn't at 20 at that time. I said a few years to go, So I was like, well, I'm, I'm just not done yet. Right. So I just kept doing stuff as it turned out. And That's some cool. people thought that was pretty nifty. <laughs> some people thought I was an yeah. enormous, enormous pain in the ass. Uh, but I just kept doing stuff. Was there a part of you that just
0: wanted to prove it uh, that you could because maybe your first physical therapist said you couldn't? Or I mean, what's what was the real motive? Have you ever thought about the real motivation as to why you kept going? have oh, so looked at you sideways had you said, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll call it a career here and just work on the rest, next phase of my life.
1: Oh, absolutely. That 100% had a, a big part of, you know, oh, you think I'm done in a year and a half? Well, in a year and a half, I'm going to be doing all this stuff. And, you know, <laughs> you
0: know that's about thing, how yeah. I feel about
1: that. Um, but then when I started doing stuff, I was like, damn, this isn't Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say it was easy. You know, I had some other stuff that I had to consider that I didn't in years, you know, previous. Um, Yeah. Just for instance, hey, bro, uh, we're going to go to the beach and we're going to swim for PT. And then we're calling it a day and we're just going to hang out and hit the little breakfast joint down there, uh, you know, or a little restaurant there for breakfast. And uh, man, we're going to, you know, just kind of hang out on the beach all day. Awesome. That's a couple of sets of feet that I need to bring. <laughs> uh yeah. Okay. And not only that, but where this liner comes up and rolls up against my skin, it's not just rubber. There's some other stuff in there, whatever. Um, but essentially, I'm wearing two layers of rubber halfway up my thighs. So uh, sand, not my friend. Right. And if I get some sand down in there and don't address it, well, that'll just dig through my skin and be worse problems tomorrow and next week, infections and all that stuff. So my friends had to understand that, and, and they were they were fine, honestly. I, I have some pretty good friends, and you would have to, like, take my stuff off and go wash it off and then carry me. You know, when you're at the beach, no yeah. matter what you do, you get sand, you know. Be as careful as you want to with laying the sheet out or a blanket. And the, you got sand everywhere. It, it just is where it is. So this could become a, a process. I'm still going to do it. And my friends are going to help me out if I need it. And I'm the worst dude in the world when it comes to asking for help. So one of my friends is pretty much going to have to grab me because I'm, I'm that guy. Um, so there's a lot of planning considerations that I didn't have to think about in years prior. But um, I still was doing stuff. I still wanted to hang around my friends. I still wanted to, to do fun stuff. I, I, I rode a motorcycle. You know, I just sold my uh, Harley uh, last year. Uh, on that bike since I've been injured, I've been coast to coast four times. Wow. I figured out a way to make it work. You know, I've bent the shifters, I've bent the brake, you know, got everything set up to that I could function with it. And I just got on it and I rode coast to coast. You know, and not with anybody, with someone a couple of times, you know, for different pieces and legs here. But I was going to Idaho and I ended up just going, you know, one more state over with another state. So um, you know, I I, I still uh up Until I sold my full with her, I have a side by side now because it's more fun for me and Chicky to ride a side by side and go get muddy and goof off. And because we can bring all our stuff with us in the bed of the side by side, so it's kind of different. Um, still jump out of airplanes with my dog attached to me. That's another story. <laughs> so, really, um, so when I first got down to Eglin, um, it was 20, 2011, late 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the following year late the following year um actually before i even left uh fort bragg so that would have been in august or september of 2011. um i was approached by guys who were command sergeant majors you know in in seventh group and you know that were retired so joe's like hey bro uh you want to you want to take axe on a skydive i was like that'd be awesome now this is the same year I was injured in February. This is now August. So I'm going to get strapped up to my friend, Johnny, um, do a tandem skydive with my dog attached to me. So we did. And it was awesome. Uh, So Joe's company named that, that, uh, that vest was just the insertion vest, you know, canine insertion vest. Well, Axe was the first one to, to get strapped on and jump it. So, Joe ended up naming it with his company. That was the Axe Insertion Vest, named after my dog Axe was the first one to jump it. Well, um, a year later, that video is on YouTube, and it's actually pretty entertaining. If you want to look it up, it's just look on no leg skydiving with my dog. Oh, <laughs> I, label, wow. I label things pretty easy to, to figure out what you are talking about. Um, so, yeah, uh, a guy from 60 Minutes, one of our producers, uh, called me through that you know, that, uh, YouTube number hmm. and I said, Hey, we'd like to do an episode of 60 minutes, blah, blah. I was like, "Oof, <laughs> that's beyond my pay grade. Uh, call this guy, Jimmy Brownlee, uh, as a Lieutenant Colonel major, I think at the time, uh, he was the public affairs officer for seventh group. Get a hold of him. If y'all come up with a solution for that, sweet, I'm down, but he's going to have to make that decision. I, I, I can't just say, Hey, I'm going to go in 60 minutes. So, uh, it worked out. <laughs> And we ended up doing, you know, an episode. Uh, Laura Logan came down. We hung out at the kennels and up at the group headquarters all day. You know, did about 12 hours worth of filming and uh, ended up on an episode of 60 Minutes. And they were trying to figure, awesome. out, and they were trying to figure out where to plug it in at because we are talking about America's elite canines. That's the, if you look up the 60 Minutes episode, the episode is actually called Bomb Sniffing Dogs: America's Elite Canines. And boom, all of a sudden, uh, the uh, Boston Marathon bomb went off. Well, then they got bombs in the streets, they got, you know, dogs that could have found a baby, all these other questions, so that's where they plugged our episode in. Um, excuse me. So that's the the time frame uh, that that episode came out in, a week or so after the Boston Marathon bomb went off, and it's, it starts off with Laura Logan talking for a minute, and the next thing you see is a clean-cut version of me, still active duty uh, skydiving with my dog <laughs> and then interviews, little bits and pieces. Hey, you got 12, 12 hours worth of uh, interview, you know, B roll stuff. I got probably five or six minutes on the show, but I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, so I was injured in February. I was skydiving with my dog in August. It was a good time. And then PCS in September got down to, to, to Eglin and started deploying as soon as I could, uh, started jumping as soon as I had to. And, you know, just, and I'm not done yet. So eventually, they came back and said, "Okay, we have to start a med board on you. Like I have no choice. You cannot go anywhere. I've already talked to the troop commander. You are grounded for all intents and purposes. We are starting a med board on you, like right now." I was like, well, caught. So we did a med board. It said a med board is not the end of the world. You can do a coad, a continuation of active duty. You know, once the med board finds a decision. You got to have this and this and this, and you slide across the desk, and you know you're pretty much going to stay doing what you're doing. Um, but it has to have some medical explanation to set me up. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Finished the med board. You came up with a decision. You're candidate for medical retirement, and I had the paperwork in my hand. I had everything I needed. Field grade officer, first line supervisors, field grade. Uh, you know, a narrative saying, "Hey, Sergeant Corbin is injured here." You know, he can't do this and this and this, but we can use him as this and this and this. Basically, I was the training guy for all of it, Um, pre-mission training stuff and all that stuff. I I was just a training guy for that. Didn't know if I wanted to deploy again. I mean, I did, but I couldn't do what I wanted to do on a deployment, so I didn't want to deploy, that makes sense. Um, Not deploying, to me, would have been worse than deploying and not being able to play the way I wanted to play. So, man. Um, So I have all that in my hand. You know, the surgeon, you know, group surgeon, uh, my first line, field grade, and myself, this whole, you know, packet, and I found myself not slinging it across the desk. I was kind of, I don't know what to do with my hands, you know, (laughs) and it's like, when do you need a decision by? They said, it's a weekend. Take the four day, you know, and come see me Tuesday, and and we'll go whichever direction you want. So, I went home, didn't sleep very well, you know, finally had to break down, you know, drawing the T on a piece of paper stay, go, it was so imbalanced. Um, It's like, dude, there's no reason for me to stay for another year and a half. There's really not. Uh, Financially, it doesn't change anything. Um, You know, schools, education, anything else, it doesn't change anything. So I just called, you know, my uh, Pueblo, uh, my uh, physical evaluation board liaison officer, Pueblo. I called her uh, Tuesday morning and said, hey, I'm going to file this co-ed myself (laughs) in, in my office. Um, go ahead and process the med board and, uh, I'm, I'm just going to call it, call it done. So a few months later, I was a civilian and I was moving back up to uh Fort Bragg area of uh, North Carolina where I'm still living.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Listen, I mean, you know, five months after losing both your legs below the knee, uh, as a bilateral amputee, um, you know, back on active duty in five months, that's insane. Um, that's, that's incredible. Uh, i know you ran a 5k um i think a little over a year later right after your your injury was,
1: uh, 13 months after injury is yeah, so it would have been march uh ran the pensacola um 5k and you know, benefiting the fisher house and some other stuff down there down in that area is pretty pretty good stuff um definitely wasn't ready to run a 5k <laughs> <But> <laughs> I already signed up for it so i was going to run a 5k so um I was very, very new still in my legs, uh, in my prosthetic devices, had those, uh, running feet, you know, the guy in the Olympics made famous, um, Oscar Pistorius, we'll talk about him though, but, um, you know, I had those, had those style of running feet and was running. I hadn't run 5k yet. That was the first time running that distance. And, uh, that, that beat me up pretty good, but, uh, I did finish races, pretty decent time. You know, if I'd have had feet, you know, maybe I'd have run faster. You know, I had to stop a few times to adjust those, but it was good. It was a good learning experience. If not now, it's painful, but still learning experience. But, um, uh, was-
0: I mean, okay, again, awesome. Congratulations. You've actually been, um, associated with a couple of different organizations along the way. I'm, I'm just going to rattle them off here and kind of lead me down the path here. You were with American Homes and Wounded Warriors. Um, I know you had some connection with them. Yep. Uh, you were also with Jared Allen's Homes for Wounded Warriors. Um, yep. Jared Allen, the former NFL player, yes, um, started his own, you know, foundation to help out veterans uh, and injured veterans. Um, and then, of course, we mentioned earlier about the Faraday's Troops uh, first, form- first Foundation. So kind of take me through all those and, and your involvement.
1: Okay. When I was still active duty. Uh, actually, when I was in Walter Reed, I met uh, the gentleman who founded Troops First Foundation and was later named after Dave Faraday uh, joined the organization, Faraday's Troops First Foundation. Uh, his name's Rick Kell, stellar, stellar individual, um, volunteered for service in Vietnam, um, had some medical issues, and they told him no. Um, I said, what do you mean no? I'm asking to go. You're making these other guys go. I would, I'm asking to go. And I said, bro, you're an F-4 basically what the nuclear holocaust was going on in your backyard, we're still not going to call you. So I was like, well, damn. So he continued with school and started uh, working as a marketing uh, guy and ended up starting his own marketing firm and ran it for, you know, almost 30 years. But after 9-11, all the stuff was going on. He says, man, I can't, I've made enough money for a couple of generations of my family to be comfortable. This is some stuff I want to do. So he started doing some stuff with basketball coaches. He's tied in with a lot of these dudes and started. He actually brought a bunch of uh, college basketball coaches to Afghanistan. Um, actually, correction, to Iraq. And they put together teams and played a tournament uh, with troops players as players and with N- uh, NCAA coaches, uh, basketball coaches, putting them together. Uh, and coaching them for this tournament, and they thought that was pretty cool, kind of a USO sort of thing at the time. He hadn't really decided where he was going to go with it. But when he came back, is when Dave Faraday's like, uh, "I want to be part of this. What do you need? Uh, I'm going to use your name, <laughs> and we can use this, that, and the other with your connections with golf, blah, blah, blah." Golfers write big checks, as it turns out. <laughs> they're 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 cozy uh, enough to, and a lot of those dudes are really we, we do stuff for them a couple times a year. Uh, and, and you think, you know, golfers would be a certain way. Mom well, here to tell you, they're not, uh, they're heartfelt. All the dudes that I've run with and worked around and stuff, dude, they'll, they'll put their damn driver down and come running off the course and hug you. I mean, they're, they're just it worked out. to be really, really awesome connection for them. Um, they've done, they've had a lot of initiatives. Um, so Rick calls me up. He had met me and met ax, you know, who's was a huge part of my recovery. Um, So he said, I'm trying to do a service dog for Brendan Morocco, who is a, the first surviving quadruple amputee and he's the first double arm transplant. (laughs) That was amazing by itself, but we're trying trying to get a dog for him, trying to get a service dog, you know, but we need off leash obedience. We need this, we need that. So I introduced Rick to some guys who I knew could do that, that, uh, had a hand in, You know, getting really, really high-end, high-quality dogs and high-quality, high-end training. Um, So they have since partnered up shortly after that, and that became one of Troop's first initiatives was the 24-7 Battle Buddies uh, service dog program. Um, So that was basically started uh, based on my dog, Axe, and we continue to be a part of that. We're in our 10th year of that. We placed 77 dogs, um, several, you know, notable uh, noteworthy folks have some of the dogs from our organization. I was just hanging out with Leroy Petrie uh, a week or so ago. He has one of our dogs. Um, you know, it, it's just a, a, a awesome organization, awesome initiative. Um, so, uh, I've also while I was still active duty before I retired, I got linked up with an organization called CWVC, Combat Wounded Veterans Challenge which is basically exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Stuff that they get into is uh, oceanic sailing, uh, mountain climbing and scuba diving. Uh, I am tied in very closely with the scuba diving part of that organization. Uh, One of the dive masters now, (laughs) they figured out that I'd been diving on a junior open water card since I was 13 years old and haven't progressed to a separate, a higher level of licensure. You know, say, hey bro, you got about 30 years of experience because 1991, here we are in 2019, you know, we're going to, we're going to further your education. It's like, I'm actually good right where I'm at. So no, 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 we're going to further your education. So every year I go down to Key West uh, and we teach and coach guys who are amputees or injured um, other ways, uh, back injuries, paraplegics, even um, how to scuba dive. Um, So I still scuba dive every year. Uh, with CWVC, Combat Wounded Veterans Challenge. And we continue bringing, you know, newer injuries, uh, injured guys in. And we just, we have a prosthetist that that travels and and dives with us, that makes parts that uh, guys can scuba dive with. And it's pretty remarkable stuff. Um, Yeah, with the Jared Allen's for Wounded Warriors, um, that was, that's still a great relationship, but that was a very strange beginning to our relationship. Um, I haven't watched professional football since the late nineties, nothing against it. I was just busy. I, I don't remember the last super bowl. I watched who played in it. Um, I want to say Jim Kelly was the quarterback. I remember that. <laughs> so it's been a while. Um, so this guy, Jared Allen calls me He says, Hey, I'm Jared Allen. Jared, Allen's home from the Warriors. You know, we want to build a house for you. And I was like, okay. Uh, hey, man, I, I'm a retired E8, dude. I, I'm not rich, but I'm comfortable. But I know a lot of guys that are like E4s, you know, with like a wife and a kid or two or right. three that could use a, a a free house. Essentially, it's a mortgage-free house. Um, they could use that, you know. He says, uh, okay, and we talked for a minute or two, and he hung up. And, uh, you know, about six months later, he said, hey, bro, Jared Allen, you know, Home from the Warriors. you know, we still want to build, you know, this mortgage-free house for you. You know, you design it or we find an existing one, however you want to do it. Say, like, hey, bro, let me give you some phone numbers Some young dudes I was at Walter Reed with that could, again, right. they could use this. I, I'm fine. I already own a house. I don't live in it. I live in another house that I'm renting, trying to sell that house. I got, I, I'm fine. You know, them dudes are, are young in life, you know, and it, just in the world, you know, that dude could use a house here's like four or five dudes phone numbers. So, Hey, babe, appreciate it, man. Have a good one. And again, like four or five, six months later, he calls me back. Says, hey bro, check it out. I'm going to build a house in your area. You can move into it or not. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> oh, no, Okay. If we're going to do this, let's do it. So I was like, Hey, I drew some plans up. You know, this is what I want. You know, it is what I'm going to build myself if you don't. So, I mean, let's, let's go this way this is my forever home. So, and I finally, I was like, man, who the hell is Jared Allen? So I'm looking him up on the internet. and This football player kept popping up, you know, and I don't, I know Jared Allen's homes for the Warriors. I don't know Jared Allen football player. It's Like, oh, wait a minute. Number 69. I kept seeing that on this. Oh, that's the guy. Okay. Uh, that's a great dude. But yeah, when we did the groundbreaking and the ribbon cut ceremony, you know, for this house, you know, he, he was here and uh, he was talking. I says, yeah, I ain't never told a dude that I was going to give him a free house. And he told me no. <laughs> Told me no a couple times over about a year. Finally, I was like, dude, I'm just going to build a house. You can move into it or not at this point. And uh, so, yeah, we, we started off a little odd. I uh, didn't know great. who it really was with everybody. I never had nobody told me no. That that was just a weird way to start a conversation. Uh, but great dude, great organization. Um, they partnered up because they were based out of Arizona at the time. Um, and I said, bro, we're, we're, you know, almost an entire country away from you. So we need you to find these people and try to link us up, and, and, and we'll go from there. So I hooked them up with some, some contractors that are local. They were pretty solid reputation. Um, they did great work together. Um, and, and, and they, they turned out a great product. And actually, the house that you see like behind me right now is the house that Jared Allen's the Warriors built me. That's great. That's awesome. So it, it's, and you don't realize how much that helps. I mean, that that's for for a common you know blue collar worker family. You know, they might have a car payment of a couple hundred dollars a month. They have some insurance. You know, has some dental or something like that. That the kids getting braces. Those are those are costs, but those are fairly quick in the grand scheme of things. You know, things you can get paid for. Well, a house is the single biggest investment they're going to make. Most likely, unless he's like way big in the stock market, does whatever, you know, day trading stuff, whatever. But a a house is the biggest cost and not just the cost of buying it or having it built, just maintaining it, just the insurance on it, it's the taxes on it, you know, all that stuff. I only have to pay the taxes on this house. And after a couple of years, I'm just like, man, don't get me wrong, (laughs) I'm not rich by any stretch of imaginations. You know, I could probably write a $50,000 check it ain't gonna clear. <laughs> you know, I've been writing <laughs> all day long. Right <laughs> oh, um, when you think about it, it's like, dude, if, if I had, you know, this two thousand twenty five hundred dollar a month mortgage payment on the place that I have right now, dude, there's so many things that I just couldn't could do right or to, to get into, you know, and it's not like I'm you know rolling in the dough and and and, and going, you know, Hitting Vegas and, and gambling away a couple thousand bucks. No, 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 I'm, I'm not sitting that good, but I ain't trying to perpetrate anything there. But, you know, just the traveling that I do, like I said, I just got off a pretty big road trip and we've seen a lot of folks and did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, there's no way I could afford that, you know, if, if I had that extra. So just the fact that that, that organization is around and, and organizations like his is around, it's, it's amazing. And just, you know, I, I call it walking out from under the rucksack. You know, in old days, Alice Pack, you know, rucksack. Yep, 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 yep. Go quick release tabs that after you finish a road march, you know, you're supposed to take your rucksack off and, and set it down. Man, sometimes you're just so tired, you just pop both quick releases and just walk out from under your rucksack, and everything just feels lighter. Good feeling. That's what the feeling is. You know, that's a problem that I don't have, and, and it's, it's an amazing load-lightening feeling. So uh, my – my uh, hats that are forever off, you know, to Mr. Jared Allen and uh, the organization that he started uh, and Alex Carelexis, who runs his organization as far as that stuff goes. He's amazing. Uh, Alex Carelexis was an MMA fighter at USC for a couple of years and then uh, got back and neck banged up a little bit. He's been working for Jared Allen uh, since, I don't know, I think about 2014 or 15 maybe. <laughs> Alex is a dynamo, great guy to talk to, just awesome individual. Uh, the whole yeah. organization was just great. And like I said, the, the weight that that takes off of a guy who, you know, when I wake up in the morning, all guys have to make that trip to the bathroom. And it's little things that I never would have thought about, you know, 12, 13 years, 13, sure. 14 years. Well, that first trip to the bathroom in the morning, I have some decisions to make. <laughs> Do I have five minutes to strap my feet on and go <clears> to <throat> my, my morning trip to the bathroom, you know, as as I have for 30 some years up to that point? Or to just roll over into the wheelchair and scoot over, you know, those are decisions that I never wanted to have to make. But those are decisions I have to make every morning. Having to figure out how to pay for a house isn't one of the decisions that weighs me down Right. when dealing with other things like that. And that's, that, that was a, an enormous load off. I didn't realize it. You know, if I would have realized this, you know, back in 2016 when he first contacted me, <laughs> I'd probably been like, hell yeah, man, let's do this. But uh, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, like I said, just tremendous individual, uh, tremendous organization. and I'm happy to be a, a part of their little family.
0: That's great. I mean, Chris, that's, a, that's just amazing. You know, it's, it's always the, the, the sort of uh, resistance you had to the whole thing. It, it kind of is just a nice <laughs> little, uh, little sweet irony on the whole thing and how it works. Out, you know,
1: <laughs> that's I think that, that's <laughs>
0: outstanding, man. I mean, really it is. It's just a, uh, you know, and what you're doing right now are Faraday's troops and, and trying to get service dogs in for people, your connection to dogs and canines and, from your time in this service. And, you know, I mean, look, man, um, it's, I, I've done, you know, hundreds of these interviews with people, uh, and you always get a sense by the end of the interview of someone's soul and, and their mind and their heart and where they are. And, and, uh, it, it, there's no right or wrong answer for everybody cause everybody's different. But, you know, I, I would, I would tell you that, that, uh, the, the gratitude you have and just the, the, the very, uh, salt of the earth feeling that you give off, uh, and, and the humility uh, of everything that you've gone through, I think is, is outstanding. Um, you know, it's, it, it's hard for us, a lot of us to accept things from other people, right? Because we're so used to doing it ourself. Um mm-hmm. We're so used to being able to, to accomplish a mission on our own, to be trained to do things a certain way and, and not rely on others. Yeah, we got everybody's back, but at the end of the day, we all, we're all competent folks and we want to be, you know, reminded of that because that's, what a a life of service in uniform is all about. You you don't get to 18, 20 years without being competent at something.
1: Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, you know, especially for guys like you, uh, the level of training you went through and everything else, it's just, it it rises to a whole different level. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, you give back still, you're doing it for other people, you're doing it for all the right reasons, and you got a smile on your face, man. I mean, you know, um, your, your journey is incredible just because it took you so quick to get back to where you are, but it's also, you know, you've used every step you've taken with those prosthetic legs towards something better for somebody else. And I think that's, you know, can't be, can't be said enough, you know, can't underscore that because your efforts are awesome.
1: And uh, actually, I want to do one more quick plug, if you will. Uh, sure. It's It slipped my mind when I was talking about it, kind of went off to the side. Uh, another initiative by Faraday's Troops First Foundation. Um, if you go to their website and you click on their initiatives, one of them down, you know, one of their fresher ones, uh is uh Operation Warrior Call. Okay. So Warrior Call is, you know, every day call one of your old ranger buddies. And it doesn't say Ranger Buddy. That's how I take it. I'm an old range regiment guy. Um and just have a conversation. And like I mentioned earlier, if we talked about feelings a little bit more and been honest with our feelings a little bit more, uh maybe some guys would have maybe not made that decision, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, and it's a huge thing. I, I, I hate. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not trying to be hateful. Right. Um, I don't agree with you know the number twenty two uh, and, and the way a lot of folks advertise it. Some folks do really uh, good stuff with it. Uh, I'm personally not a big fan of, of the number itself. Well, we don't know if it's accurate. That's the problem. Yes. Uh, but there's
0: no. There's no validity to the accuracy of that because <laughs> there are many people who commit suicide. They don't have a note around their neck that says I'm a veteran. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and yeah. nobody is obligated to find that out as far as the state authorities, local authorities, coroner. They're not obligated to find that out. So mm-hmm. we don't really know what the number is, whether it's higher or lower or whatever.
1: Yeah, that was a number they came up with through some type of research. I'm sure. Yep. Well, maybe yep. a guess, maybe whatever. Um, and we ran with it, you know. Um, so the Operation Warrior call um, is uh, make a call take a call and be honest in your conversation. You know, a guy's like, Oh man, I heard from Corbin, you know, weeks, months, you know, whatever. I see him all over here and I'm, I'm real quick to point out, say, Hey bro, these cell phones these days, they can send and receive calls so you don't have to wait. You know, you can dial up just like I could, you know, if I'm busy talking to whatever, and you're busy talking, whatever, at some point we'll, we'll meet in the middle and you call me, I'll call you, whatever. But the whole thing is, due to if you're not right, you know, make a call. If you're not right, take a call, you know, and vice versa. If you see something not right. Um, but with, the, uh, with the, the Operation Warrior call, uh, we do speaking engagements uh, all around the country, all around the globe. As I said, I was on Operation Proper Exit with Rick Kells, you know, Faraday's Troops First Foundation uh, on two occasions. And we talked to guys in Afghanistan about, you know, basically what happens when you get hurt, you know, how we're taking care of whatever. Because them dudes, you got know, to figure they're, they're deployed for a year. You know, if a guy gets hurt in the first month or so, well, he's on their, you know, medical retirement track before the unit ever, you know, gets back from from being deployed. So we, we fill in the gaps for guys like that. We talk about that. And then we've also been to Germany uh, with Warrior Call. And we talked to the guys who were over there, they're ramping up for other stuff in that that region. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, uh, we do that, you know, all over the country. Got some guys ramping up to go out to 29 Palms to talk to a bunch of hard-charging Marines out there uh, for a, a, a few days, you know, of, of talks. So we call them town halls. You know, get a bunch of us on stage uh, one of the guys is Matt Bradford. Uh, his uh, website is no no vision, no feet, or no legs, no problem. Because he's a double leg amputee, one high, one low, and he's blind. Wow. And he's just been uh, receiving, uh, la- last year, was receiving private uh, driving lessons from Tom Watson through Watson's Warriors. <laughs> You know, he still loves playing golf. You can't see it, but if you line him up, boy, Tom Watson got him schooled up to crack that ball and he's not going to have a couple hundred yard shots. You know, so we got guys like that that just, I refuse to quit. You know, uh just continue moving. We got guys who are, you know, the invisible wounds we talk about, guys who are banged up, you know, internally, you know, guys that, are, you know, I don't agree with the term PTSD. I agree with PTS. Let's right. avoid allowing it to become a disorder. And just deal with the PTS part of it. Um, We got some guys and girls who were banged up, you know, in different ways. And with Warrior Call, we actually get a bunch of us together. uh, And we go around the country talking to mostly military folks, some first responders and law enforcement and whatnot, too. Just, I don't, you know, I don't know how they pick where we're going. They just, hey, you want to go on this trip? Absolutely. And we go. Uh, If we can clear schedule, we can do whatever. But primarily, it's we just tell a story about the adversity that we have overcome. And then this person has different adversity than I do that he has overcome or she has overcome, so on. And and a lot of the guys just, you know, that maybe never thought about it that way. I never thought about it. You know, how, you know, how do I keep doing stuff when I don't have any you know feet? That's never a thought that occurred to me until it occurred to me, you know, uh, or, or happened to me, whatever. So we, we do a lot of that stuff. And, and motivational speaking is basically what it comes down to. Um, but it's overcoming adversity. It, it, it's dealing with different levels of leadership, um, and, and a huge piece of it is touching the upper-ranking folks. Um, I, I tell a story uh, about this old sergeant major, this big, mean-looking guy. You know, Ranger Tab, combat jump, CIB. You know, all this other stuff. And uh, you know, right in front of all of his troops. You know, at, at like three o'clock in the afternoon, he walks across the street and goes into this building everybody's like oh my god what is this what is this what's going on well that building big sign across the top says mental health I like, oh my god man So major's cracking up so Sergeant major goes in there chit chats with the doc a little bit he's talking about retirement he's talking about buying a boat and maybe you know living on a lake mm-hmm. um, next week he goes in there same thing about three o'clock on a friday everybody sees him oh god man so major's losing it man i don't know what's going on and he's talking to Doc about, yeah, just uh, put an offer in a house, you know, out on the lake and uh, shopping for boats now. I need to trade in my Jeep to get a truck that can pull the boat, you know, just normal conversation. You know, next week, same thing, 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, in front of all of his troops, walks a big sign, mental health, walks in this building. And uh, this goes on for, for weeks. You know, finally, Doc's like, all right, man, we've been chit-chatting, get some rapport, establish some trust, whatever. Hey, Sergeant Major, when are we going to start talking about your problems? Sergeant so Major looks at her and goes, hey, Doc, I'll be honest with you. I don't really have any problems. But my entire battalion just watched me walk over here every week for the last month and a half into a building that says mental health. And I want them all to see that it's okay. Wow. Smart move. So uh, I've been telling that story for quite a while. And and that's that's to get a lot of guys clicking. It's like, don't be afraid to ask for that stuff. I mean, yeah, There's some weird stuff with like security clearances and some units, whatever that can be kind of. But I'm telling you, I knew a lot of guys that just held that stuff in for a lot of years, and kept doing some cool stuff, you know, if you want to call it cool, some special things and stuff like that. Um, But every one of them, almost every one of them, wishes they'd have said something before they did. Yeah. And could have started, you know, shifting. Uh, to go on a better path, you know, mentally, you know, family-wise, you know, stuff like that. So I, I just uh, I pushed that pretty hard for, for guys to actually get themselves, make sure that you're right, you know, and, and, and learn techniques of how to deal with stuff mentally and things like that. That's all the things that we talk about with this Operation Warrior Call. And uh, I think it's amazing, you know, um, it's all volunteer, you know, it, it's it's no cost to the unit. So the unit's not like, ah, oh, you know, that sounds real cool, but we can't write them kind of checks. Like, uh oh, we don't need a check. We, we we just need time. Set up a time that you can afford to give up to lose. Auditorium, chow hall, you know, out front on the bleachers. I don't care, whatever. And they get a couple of us out there together, and we start chit-chatting, and we open up for Q&A. You know, guys like, well, what about, oh, dude, we've heard, I won't say all, we've heard damn near all of them, you know. And, and it's, you know, it's questions that, that are, you know, so simple to answer, typically. So i a little bit more complicated, but uh, just keep guys going in the right path. And what's right for one is not right, the same exact right for the other. Because I tell everybody, everybody's got demons of some sort. No yep. two people's demons are identical. And you can't treat no two demons the same way either. So all this is just discussion. And it's take a call, make a call, and be honest. That's a huge piece of this. And if people just remember that, if nothing else, um, you don't have to call a doctor. You can call a familiar voice, you know, and I'm having some issues. I just look up an old friend and call and we talk about dumb stuff we used to do in a barracks when we're underage drinking or, or, or just dumb stuff we didn't, you know, fortunately I didn't have video cell phones back in the nineties. Otherwise we'd all been in jail, you know, stuff like that. Just that familiar voice and those familiar confirmations and affirmations are, are huge. Um, that mean you got to call a shrink every time you start feeling a little bit woozy. I no, correct. Yeah. You know. But no, that's yes. uh that's all the stuff we've been into, man. It's uh it's uh it's it's good stuff and, and I can look in the mirror every day and feel good about what we did. And, and that's, that's, that's that's Well, you should. I, have
0: I mean, that's, you know, uh, again, uh there's so much look, as I said, y- y- they tell these stories and if people come on and they go out and they live their life and, and they're happy and they're content and they're in a good mental place after their time in service or whatever they've been through, you know, for some people that's enough and there's nothing wrong with that. Not everybody has to give back. Not everybody's expected to give back, you know, but those who do um, absolutely, you know, um, need to be reminded uh, that that they're doing the right thing for the right reason. Uh And, and that's important because the, it keeps us all together, right? You know, um, as much as people can go out, like I said, they can live a normal life and they can stay secluded. And some people don't want to get back into connection with veterans and they just feel more comfortable. That's okay for them if that's what works for them. But th- those groups that bring us all together still, I think are super important, you know, uh, super, super important because um, that connection to each other, I think is is paramount and it's what, it, it's what, what's helped keep some of us alive. All right. Yeah. And that's, no, that's what it boils down to. So, Uh, I loved hearing every bit of this story, man. Uh, You're amazing. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, Keep up the great work. Keep doing everything you're doing. Let's stay in touch, brother, because uh, um, I got some stuff here I want you to hear about, and and maybe you could do some more good than you're already doing for some people, but uh, just incredible, incredible story. You're very honest, very down to
1: earth, and I appreciate it. Too dumb to quit, Sarge. Too dumb to quit. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Corbett, (laughs) thanks for being Part of the hazard ground. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it all. Thanks a ton. You've been listening to the hazard ground podcast
0: hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell,
1: and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.